that Merle Eastman um, passed away. Merle was the pastor here at, at uh, North Point. Back then it was known as DeWitt Community Church. Um, from about roughly from the late 60s until about 1984, um, he was instrumental in the church moving from downtown DeWitt to this location on, on the on the acres here, on the 15 acres here. And um, and uh, just a, a really, really cool story. Just less than two weeks ago, um, Merle led somebody at the convalescent center where he was to Jesus, introduced him to Jesus. Uh, that's pretty amazing, isn't it? You know, talk about finishing strong, um, being faithful to the end. So, so cool. And, um, while his family is going to miss him and, uh, you know, obviously there's a, there's a void there, the, um, grief that's there. When they communicated to us, they said, celebrate, he's gone home. You know, he has he has gone to uh, to the home that God has designed for him, which is a really, really cool thing. Let me let me pray just now for Eastman's and um, and for our offering to keep passing while we pray. That's OK. Uh, God, thanks so much that you are the Lord of the universe, that you are um, invincible. God, that you never change, that you rescue when we're desperate. God, that you. Give meaning to what we do, that that you order our days. Um, Lord, we ask right now that you'd be with the Eastman family, that, that you would give them comfort as they're going to miss their dad, their grandpa, their um, member of extended family. But Lord, we thank you for his um, for his example of being faithful unto death. Um, uh, Lord, bless our offering that we've just taken to um, help us to just use it in incredible ways to help your kingdom go forward. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, we are in a series called All That Jazz that comes from the Psalms. If you're new, we're, we're about four weeks into this series where we're just looking at a different psalm each week. And the, word do, and, the, and the reason it's called All That Jazz is because jazz as a style of music is uh, kind of this spontaneous expression of what's inside you. In jazz, it's never the same. Uh, the, jazz has never played the exact same way two times in a row. Um, it's, uh, it, there's this fresh sense of what's going on inside you that comes out into the instruments that you're playing into the, into the words that you sing. And so, uh, we've, we've chosen that phrase, all that jazz. Um, and let me just kind of bring you up to speed. The first week we talked about Psalm one, it's kind of the foundation for the Psalms. Blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delights in the law of the Lord on it, he meditates day and night. We talk about this whole idea of getting God's word into our minds, into our hearts, thinking about God's word and let, letting it permeate who we are from the, from the deepest part inside. The next week we talked about Psalm 40. And we really began to get kind of to the emotions that are there. Uh, the, if you remember, Psalm 40 starts and says, I waited patiently for the Lord. I waited and waited and waited. And he came down and rescued me from the miry clay. He took me out of the swamp and he set my feet on solid ground. What a, what a cool, incredible picture that is. Yay, Peyton. Yeah. Um, um, so Psalm 40 is all about that. And, and when God rescues us, when he sets our feet on solid ground, he gives us a new song to sing, right? 
All of a sudden, everything's different and there's a fresh expression of praise. Uh, Last week, we talked about um, Psalm 63. Chris shared Psalm 63 is one of those psalms that uh, in terms of emotion, it's an expression of, of deep pain and longing. Psalm 63 says, you know, um, I, I, I long for you, God, like I like I long for water in a dry and thirsty land. My soul thirsts for you. There's this not just this this reminder. There's this ache deep inside me that says, I've got I've got to have you come and fix this uh, last week. This week is kind of the opposite end of that. We've been talking about desperation last week. This is a, a celebration of joy at the bigness of God. If you've got your Bibles, take them out and turn to Psalm 8. If uh, you don't have a Bible with you, feel free to take one out of the back of the, the row in front of you. There's some there. If you've got an electronic device, feel free to go to, to um, Version or Bible Gateway or, or whatever and, and get there to Psalm 8 because that's where we're going to be. Um, we don't know a lot about uh, the background of a lot of psalms. There's a heading on some of them. If you look on Psalm 8, there's a heading there that says for the chief musician um, or for the for the um, for the choir master. There's a, about a third of the psalms are described that way. And we're not sure exactly what that means. Probably that that David put them together, gave them to Asaph, who was the probably the chief musician for Israel. And in the compiling process that they would have come to him. And then there's another phrase there that says, according to the for the to the giddeth, right? What's a giddeth? Who knows? Um, we, we don't know for sure. Giddeth probably refers to a city in Israel called Gath, um, the town of Gath. Now, you may be thinking, Gath, I, I, that sounds kind of familiar. Where have I heard of that before? Do you remember the story of David and Goliath? The giant, the, you know, the nine foot guy, Goliath was from the town of Gath. That was that was where he was from. That was his home. And when David defeated Goliath, Israel came in and took over that area. And um, scholars think that when it says according to the Giddeth, it's um, it, that it probably refers to either a musical instrument that came from the area, from the region of Gath, or that it was a, a tune of a song that was sung by the people of Gath, and that David set this psalm to that particular tune. So he either set it to that tune, played it on an instrument that came from Gath, and, uh, and that's kind of that picture for, for what that means. So if you can, picture David, the, the, the boy shepherd who became king, but picture David out on the hillside in Judea, looking up, into the stars. Got that picture in your mind? Cool night, you know, summer breeze kind of thing. Looking up and you hear, you hear the words of David that he begins the psalm with. And if you're looking there, you'll find that, is, that they are the exact same words at the end of the psalm. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Have you ever been there? Have you ever sat outside and looked at the stars and you just have this sense of the bigness of God? As we look through Psalm 8, you're going to see really three different pieces of Psalm 8. One is about the bigness of God. The second is about the smallness of man. And the third is about the incredible love of God for us. Uh, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Think about your name. 
Uh, Dale Carnegie says the most beautiful sound of any language to a person is the sound of their own name. You like it when people call you by name, when they recognize you, right? That that means a lot. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. The name of God, the, the name of any of us is important because it communicates the character of who we are, right? Uh, it's not uncommon for a father to say to a son as they head off to college or as they head to a new job. Hey, you know, I have not been able to give you a lot, but the one thing I could give you is a good name. Don't mess it up. Anybody had anybody had that conversation with your dad? Right. It's not uncommon to know people who are named after their father. Maybe after their grandfather, they're they're a tray. They're the third or the fourth or the fifth. In my particular family, my, da- my dad, um, I aspire to be like my dad. My dad has been a great role model for me as a, as a father, as a husband, as a, as a spiritual mentor. My dad is Robert Perry Rubel. My name is Robert Richard Rubel. My son, my oldest son is Robert Josiah Rubel. Um, my second son is Micah Richard Rubel to carry on the whole name thing. Passing on your name is important because it communicates the character of who you are. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Um, Can I just say this? As we think about the bigness of God and we think about the majesty of God's name, recognize that we live in a time and a place that the name of God has been um, reduced uh, to, to something almost insignificant, right? You see all over the place, OMG. You hear all the time people use that as an expletive. And, and, um, and followers of Jesus, too. We've lost track that in the Ten Commandments that, that God gave to Moses, the third commandment was, remember my name and keep it holy. It's important that we protect the name of God. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. When David wrote that, there were a couple of senses at the end of the phrase, in all the earth. Two things I think he was thinking. One, he was thinking ge- geographically. That when David said, how majestic is your name in all the earth, he was talking about all the continents, all the world, everywhere. God, your name is above it all. But Equally as important, and I don't know that David grasped this when he, when he wrote this psalm. He was saying, God, your name is above every other name, even outside of the nation of Israel. The Jews were God's chosen people, and yet David recognized that God's name was above every name over all the earth. In verse 1, he says this, You have set your glory above the heavens out of the mouths of babies and infants, You have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. Um, I don't say it nearly enough, but I'm so grateful for our band for the times of worship that we have. Amen. Um, They they just do such a great job in in worship. There are two concepts that are important to us um, that we try to experience on a regular basis. They're big, fancy words, but they communicate two truths that happen simultaneously. One is the transcendence of God. The idea that God transcends 
all of creation, that God is above everything that ever has happened or will happen. God transcends it all. And so when we worship, we want to have the sense of the bigness of God. But there's a there's another concept that is there that's the imminence of God, the closeness of God, that even though God is so much above everything as we worship, he's also right here with us. And I think we find that in verse two, when it says out of the mouths of babies and infants, you've established strength because of your, because of your foes. Parents, do you remember the first time you held your child in your arms? All of a sudden, I, I think, think through that. We, Dev and I have six kids, and with each child, there was this sense of the sacred as that baby was born, and you held them for the first time, right? All of a sudden, people who are rich and powerful are reduced to a blubbering mess, right? That... All of a sudden, everything changes as they hold this baby for the first time. Um, They become parents, become gurgling idiots, right? (laughs) They, 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 They babble. They weep like giants. They become ferocious as bears. There is this sense of of in that moment with that young child of the closeness of God. William Wordsworth wrote that heaven lies about us. It lies all around us in our infancy. Such a cool thing with little guys because they have a sense of the wonder and majesty of God at every turn. David says, out of the mouths of babes and infants, you've established strength. You've defeated your foes. Out of the, you know, the birth of babies changed history. The birth of Moses Signaled the beginning of Israel moving out from the slavery of Egypt. The birth of Jesus, though Herod tried to kill him, started the process of our redemption. In Matthew 21, in Matthew 21, Jesus has just come back into Jerusalem in what we call the triumphal entry on Palm Sunday. Jesus comes back into Jerusalem. He's riding the donkey. People are throwing the palm branches down. They're throwing their cloaks down, saying, Hosanna. Um, uh, shout, shouting to him. And, and Matthew 21 says this, when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that Jesus did, he had just cleared out the temple. Um, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, do you hear what these are? are uh, do you hear what these are saying? And they, uh, and Jesus said to them, yeah, have you never read out of the mouths of infants and nursing babes? You have prepared praise. Jesus, in, the, in his last week before his resurrection, refers to Psalm 8. Verse 3 says this, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and stars which you've set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. I, I said at the beginning, that you picture being out on the hillside seeing the stars. I, there, I, I love words. Words to me are just very interesting. There's a word that I think is fun. It's, it's the word muse. When you muse about something, right? What's, what's it mean to muse? It means that you think or, or meditate in silence. That you ruminate on an idea. When you muse. It's one of those things that you take some time and just really contemplate the impact of whatever it is that you're thinking about. We don't do that very often, do we? 
Because we live in a culture not of musing, but of amusing, right? When you add that prefix, uh, that means not in Latin. Amuse means what? To divert our attention, to entertain us, to make us not think. We are in desperate need of time in our lives to contemplate eternal things, to contemplate the person of Jesus, to contemplate the bigness of God. Ralph Ralph Waldo Emerson wrote that if the stars came out only once in a century, people would stay up all night gazing at them. When's the last time you stopped and looked at the stars? I, I wonder about artificial light. Sometimes I, this week, as, I, as I've been thinking about this message, I've thought over and over again, is artificial light a really good thing? Because it's allowed us to advance technologically in all kinds of ways. We can stay up late at night, do all those kind of things. But because of artificial light, because of, of, uh, of light, we miss seeing the sky, Right? David, on a daily basis on the hillside, would have looked out and seen the bigness of God. He would have experienced the majesty of God every day because of that. This morning when I got up, when I get up in the morning and and play racquetball during the week, this morning when I got up and went out to get out the paper, uh, to get the paper, and I looked into the east sky, you know what I saw? Jupiter and Mars. Clear, Isabel, clear, clear sky uh, early this morning. And to just look up into the constellations to see Orion, to see the Big Dipper. Um, incredible thing to think about the God who made those things. I, I want us to just spend some time thinking about the majesty of God. Take a look at this picture. This is the Crab Nebula. It's in the Perseus arm of the Milky Way in the constellation Taurus. It's 6,500 light years from Earth. Now, let's go back to high school science, all right, to remember. Um, What's a light year? Well, the speed of light is 186,000 miles per second, okay? The speed of light is 186,000 miles per second. The the sun is 93, 93 million miles from the Earth, and it takes 8 minutes and 20 seconds for light from the sun to get to earth. All right. A light year is if you were to travel at the speed of light, 186,000 miles per second, 60 seconds, 60 minutes, 24 hours for an entire year at that speed. That's 5.88 trillion miles. That's a long way. All right. The Crab Nebula is 6,500 light years away from Earth and still in the Milky Way. It's still um, in our solar, in our galaxy. It was discovered in 1840 with a 36-inch telescope, but that picture was taken by the Hubble telescope. Next slide is a galaxy that's affectionately named NGC 1376. Um, (laughs) Why didn't it have a name? Because the expanse of space is so great that they just have to establish numbers that that help them know where it's in. That's a galaxy that's 180 million light years from Earth. 
180 million light years from Earth. And it's part of a constellation that you can see in the southern hemisphere. A couple more slides that I, that I just think are cool, taken by Hubble. Go to the next one. Um, and then the next one. The majesty of God is incredible. Go to the next one. This is called the Ant Nebula because it looks like a little bit like an ant. It's in our galaxy. It's 8,000 light years from the Earth. Again, in a constellation that you can see in the southern hemisphere. Neb- uh, the words fail at God's creative ability. Go to the next one. This picture was taken by Hubble. It's, it's not a graphical representation. It's an actual picture taken by Hubble. And it's taken in Omega Centauri, which is a globular cluster in the constellation Centaurus. It's 15,800 15, light years from Earth. In that picture, they tell me, I didn't count them, there are 100,000 stars. 100,000 stars. And that is 1% of the stars in Omega Centauri. In just one globular cluster. 10 million stars in that one cluster. Is it any wonder that David said, when I see the works of your hands, the marvels that are around me, what is man that you are mindful of him. I, I hope you have this sense of the bigness of God, of his creative ability through the process. In the 1950s, there was a theologian who wrote a book that, that really kind of brought this down to home um, for most Americans. That theologian was Dr. Seuss. He wrote the book, Horton Hears a Who?, Anybody remember that book? Remember reading it to your kid? It's about this elephant that the speck of dust flies by the elephant and the elephant hears a voice on the speck of dust. And the elephant takes that Horton, the elephant Horton takes that speck of dust and puts it into a clover to protect it because he hears this voice. He knows somebody's on that speck of dust. And then all the rest of the animals laugh at Horton. They say, ah, we don't hear anything. Um, uh, chimpanzees come, monkeys come. They steal the clover that has the speck, on du- a speck of dust on it. They give it to an eagle named Vlad Vladikov, um, who takes that clover, flies away, and dumps it into a field of clover. That's, I forget what it is, uh, three, a uh, hundred miles wide is what Sue says that that field of clover is. And Horton goes about the process of trying to find that particular clover that has that speck of dust that contains that voice on it. It says on on the three millionth clover, he finds it. And the phrase that that happens over and over and over again in Horton Hears a Who is a person's a person, no matter how small. Some of you could finish that, right? How big is the galaxy? How big is the universe? We get all excited because we because right now there's evidence of water 
on the planet Mars, one tiny planet that's close to us. Stop and think for a second. Where did all the matter come from to make the stars that we're talking about? To make those 10 million stars in Omega Centauri. To make the stars that fill up the galaxy. To fill up the universe. God is a big, big God. If our solar system is the size of a quarter, so you take this quarter, you put the sun in the middle of it, put our planets in rotation around it. If, if our solar system is the size of a quarter, the Milky Way is the size of the North American continent. Do you understand how big God is? The Milky Way, uh, there's a picture of the Milky Way. The Milky Way contains over 200 billion stars. The Milky Way alone. Our solar system is about 30,000 light years from the center of the Milky Way. As late as the 1920s, 95 years ago, as late as the 1920s, scientists thought all of the stars in the universe were contained in the Milky Way. That that's all there was. Scientists changed that and Hubble has blown the lid off that because all of a sudden we can see into space in a way that we've never been able to before. And, and see the creative ability of eternal God. Where are we in the Milky Way? Take a look at this. Next slide. Go ahead. Yeah. There's a picture of the Milky Way. See the sun? One tiny speck in that. We try and bring God down to our size and we have no concept of how big God is. Look at the earth out in space. Neil Armstrong, when he was on Apollo 11... Um, When he came back after he had landed on the moon, stepped on the moon, the first person to ever walk on the moon was in an interview. They asked him about it. And Armstrong said this. It's sudden. uh, He talked about being um, in the lunar module and seeing the earth out in space. He said, it suddenly struck me that that tiny pea, pretty and blue, was the earth. I put up my thumb and closed one eye and my thumb blotted out the planet Earth. I didn't feel like a giant. I felt very, very small. Psalm 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day it pours out speech. Night to night it reveals knowledge. There is no speech. There are no words whose voice is not heard. The voice goes out through all the earth. Their words to the end of the world. God is massive. He's above anything that we can comprehend. And we are on that little tiny piece of dust that Horton puts on the clover. And yet, David says, what is man that you are mindful of him? Yet you have made him 
made man a little lower than the heavenly beings. You've crowned him with glory and honor. You've given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heaven, the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. God is huge and man is insignificant. We are one tiny blip in our galaxy, one tiny blip in our solar system. And yet the value of man is incredible. You know, I'm only one person out of 7 billion that live on this planet right now. Maybe 25 billion that have ever lived in the history of man. Why would God care for me? Do you have a sense of that? And yet in Matthew, Jesus teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, and he says, God knows when even a sparrow falls. And here's the question that he asks then. Are you not worth much more than they? God is big. And we're tiny. And yet God loves us. God is the one who gives us significance. Matthew Henry said this, though man is a worm, the son of man, or though man is a worm, the son of man is a worm. Job 25 says that. Those are Job's words. Yet God puts a respect on him and shows him abundance of kindness. Man is, above all, creation, all creatures in this lower world, the favorite and darling of providence. We can all get t-shirts that say, I'm the favorite of God. I'm his darling. David said, you made man a little lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and honor. You've put him in charge of all creation, beasts of the field, birds of the air, fish of the sea. You've put him in charge of everything that you've made. Understand this. If you're a follower of Jesus, we have a responsibility to take care of the world that we live in, right? Not to worship it, not to worship creation, but we have a responsibility to care for what God has entrusted to us. I don't know what that looks, looks like for you. You connect those dots. But God has put us in charge of all creation. The value of man that God has given to us, it has impacted history throughout the world. Followers of Jesus are the ones who care for widows and orphans, right? That's our, that's our mandate from James 1. Followers of Jesus are the ones who started hospitals to care for sick and dying. Followers of Jesus are the ones who said, you've got to learn how to read and write because you can read the testimony of God. You can read about him. You can come to know him through scripture. Followers of Jesus are the ones who've been advocates for literacy because the value of man is incredible. One of the things that, that I, just as I was thinking through this over the last couple of weeks, I thought, oh man, one of the things that we're fighting with as a nation right now is physician-assisted suicide, Right? We think that we have the ability to determine when we die, how we die, by what means. God is the one who places value on every life around us. Every life. God is the one 
who gives life and takes it. Everything in creation points to Jesus. Um, The writer of Hebrews in chapter 2 says this. It's been testified, what is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. You've made him a little lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and honor. You've put everything in subjection under his feet. And the writer then says, now in putting everything in subjection to him, talking about Jesus, he left nothing outside of his control. While we don't yet see everything in subjection to Jesus, that time is coming because all of creation points to Jesus. The value that God has placed on man and making him a little lower than the angels, it points to Jesus, Jesus coming to this planet to redeem us. And, and David says, Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Listen to the entire Psalm. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You've set your glory above the heavens out of the mouths of babies and infants. You've established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you've set in place. What is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. You've yet you've made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You've given him dominion over the works of your hands. You've put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heaven, the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Three thoughts I, I said at the beginning of the message that come from Psalm 8. God is bigger than anything we can imagine. And we are tiny in his creation. And yet in that tininess, God gives us significance because God's love for us is as big as his creative ability. Think about that for a second. God's love for us is as big as his creative ability to make all the stars of the heavens, everything that's in the universe. God loves us that much. In, in Luke 15, Jesus tells three parables that help kind of tie everything that we find in, in Psalm 8 together. He tells three stories that help explain the nature of God and his love for us. The first story is about lost sheep. The second story is about lost coins. The third story is about a lost son. Listen to, um, to the introduction to that at the beginning of Luke 15. Now, the tax collectors and sinners, they were the, they were the scum of the earth, the horrible people. They were all drawing near to hear Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious leaders, grumbled and said, This man receives sinners. He eats with them. These people who are deplorable. And Jesus told them this parable. Which of you having a hundred sheep, if he lost one of them, doesn't leave the ninety and nine in the open country and go after the one who's lost until you find it? Jesus tells three stories. He says, if you've got a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what do you do? You secure the ninety nine and you go after that one until you find it and rescue it and bring it back home. That's the picture of how much God loves you.
tells another story about about a a person who has 10 coins and and loses one of those 10 coins, turns the house upside down because of the value of that, that coin, sweeps everything out until they find that lost coin. And then they throw a party with everybody to celebrate that the lost has been found. That's the picture of how much God loves you. Then he tells a story that we're probably the most familiar with. It's this, the, the, the story of the lost son, the prodigal son. The person who basically looks at his dad, um, says to him, I wish you were dead. Give me my share of the inheritance and goes out and blows it and throws his life away. And ultimately turns around and comes back to his dad just asking if he can have a job and live with the servants. And his father is there waiting for him, looking for him, desperate for him, and restores him to the place of son. That's the picture of how much God loves you. We're going to finish here in a second. I just I want you to really think about what Psalm 8 says. God is incredibly huge. Maybe you need to spend some time today, go home and Google hobble, look at the images and just sit dumbfounded at the creative ability of God. God is beyond anything that we can imagine. And we are not all that in a bag of chips. We are one tiny blip in history, one tiny piece of the universe. We're insignificant apart from God's love for us, apart from Jesus coming to redeem us. And God's love for us is incredible. I don't know where you are today. It it may be that this message just has you ready to go home and take a nap so you can stay up tonight and look in the sky. It may be that you're going through all kinds of crud in your life. And you think... Is it possible that God really does love me like that? Is it possible that God really does know my name? The answer to that is yes, 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 yes. I'm going to pray in just a second and we're going to sing. And we, when we sing this song, you will hear the Holy Spirit speak to you because it fits wonderfully with Psalm 8. I want, I want to invite you. If you have a sense that you want to come down front and pray as we sing, man, come down. The, the song talks about raising your hands. It talks about kneeling and bowing down before God. Feel free to do either of those things. Worship the God who created the universe and who sent Jesus to redeem you. If you don't know him, man, after the service, come down and find me. Find Joe. Find Peyton. Let them tell you about Jesus. Find one of the elders or a small group leader. God loves you. Let's pray. Father, words fail. Words fail when we think about who you are and how big you are. And yet you choose, you choose to love us, Lord. What an incredible thought. Not just love us from afar, but 
to come to earth in the body of Jesus to save us, to rescue us. God, fill us with that knowledge. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. Let's sing.